because I was having so much fun in this Nesby program, I was like, okay, how do I do this? And I looked around, you know, FAMU and FSU and nobody was doing kids and technology. So I was like, surely like there's a way to do this. So I went to talk to the Dean or was he the chair? He was, I think maybe he was the chair at the time of the engineering. And he was like, Shani, we can't give you an electrical engineering degree for doing education. And I was like, well, no, no, no. Like I want to build things, right? Like we build things as engineers, but like the context that I want to do that in is in education. Hi everyone, I'm Becky. And I'm Rohit, and welcome to After Office Hours, where we get to know engineering professors and leaders outside of the classroom. And hear about their passions, interests, and the stories about how they got to where they are today. Hey folks, welcome back to After Office Hours. It's good to see you again. Today we have an awesome guest for you. We spoke with Dr. Chandra Daly. Yes, Dr. Daly is an associate professor of the practice in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering. She's also a core faculty in the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Department and is additionally the director of the Diversity in Tech Lab here at Duke University. Yeah, I think one of the really interesting things about our conversation was just how unique Dr. Daly's day-to-day and her research is. It sort of combines different fields. It sort of traverses education to dance to computer science. It's actually really quite interesting. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Daly. Dr. Daly, uh, thanks again so much for um, coming on to After Office Hours as our guest for this week. Um, we wanted to dive right in with an interesting question. Who is your favorite scientist or engineer of all time? <laughs> or pick one of your favorites. It doesn't have to be your absolute favorite. Do they have to be real or can they be imaginary? Because that would like change my answer significantly. T- yeah, tell us the answer to uh, if it had, they had to be real and then if that, you know, if imaginary. Like two separate answers. <laughs> okay. Okay, so imaginary, I'm definitely going with MacGyver, right? So if you guys might be too young to see, to have seen the, excuse me, you all always do that, uh, may be too young to have seen the show, but I know they rebooted it at some point. But MacGyver, like, he would take a paper clip, a piece of gum, and some toothpaste and, like, stop a nuclear bomb. <laughs> and I feel like he is representative of, like, all-time engineer, like, just, you know, how we, uh, a lot of people I know, maybe not we, I shouldn't say yeah. we, but a lot of people I know, how we imagine ourselves to be as engineers is like, oh, you know, I can fix it. You know, I can figure out a way to do it better. So he just, yeah, I, I, I like MacGyver for that reason. Um, real scientist, um, probably... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with my advisor, Rosalind Picard. So this is my grad advisor. And she, so uh, the area and I went through her lab was called affective computing, which is sensors and technologies that sense and respond to human emotion. And uh, she started this 
like early 90s, she started exploring these areas um, due to some things that she was seeing um, in like computer vision and stuff like that. And she just felt like there were gaps and there were always going to be gaps in a machine's understanding of what it was looking at if it didn't have certain capabilities. And so she started experimenting with this area of, you know, what does it look like for machines to have, in quotes, right, emotional intelligence and to be able to understand emotion? How would that change like the interpretation of, of you know, what a machine was quote unquote seeing, right? And I just, like, she got a tremendous amount of pushback, right? She's at MIT, you know, she's at least, you know, at the media lab, which kind of is a wild place in and of itself. And so, you know, there there was maybe a little bit of willingness to, to at least hear her out, but still a lot of people saying, eh, like, what are you doing? What, like, what are you thinking? And she just pushed through all of that. Like, she was like, no, this is important. Like, this means something. And I'm not going to let people tell me that it, it doesn't. And so kind of despite all of the pushback, kind of despite all of the, you know, people telling her that it wasn't valid, right? This is not rigorous, which we hear a lot in, in STEM, right? And there's this, this um, definition of, of rigor and what is scholarly work and, you know, what it means to contribute that... And a lot of places and spaces can be very narrow. And so she pushed through all of that. And she just, I mean, she launched an entire field that has its own journal. And it has, you know, tons of patents. And it has, uh, you know, coming out of it. And just all these products and things that are really helping people. And so I just have a lot of respect and admiration for what she's done in that respect. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's that's so impressive when people are able to push back against so many no-sayers and, and when they really believe in a concept. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going going back a little further, what got you into computing originally? What made you interested in computer science? <laughs> no, that's, that's, y'all are going to laugh at me. <laughs> um, so we're going to take it back to TV because apparently since I just said MacGyver, I watched way too much. <laughs> Um, I also had a fascination with like uh, crime scene investigation. I just thought those kinds of shows were awesome. And then I had a teacher in high school who did a, an entire chemistry class. And to this day, I've tried to find out and I have not been able to get anybody to explain to me like what her chemistry goals were. But <laughs> she, she, she set up a crime scene um, like in her utility closet of her classroom and we had to do this whole investigation and that and then my imaginary watching too much tv self was like oh my gosh like, <laughs> I want to either be in the FBI or CIA right so I didn't know okay. you know what I needed to do to to go into that you know I didn't know anything about that I just thought it was cool I happened to have a friend in high school whose dad was former CIA and I'm okay. not sure, I can't remember how I found that out, um, but it, it came out at some point. So I asked him to ask his dad, like, hey, you know, what What do I do? Like, how do I do that? And um, they said, oh, well, you need to either major in uh, criminology or engineering, right? Yeah. So 
I didn't know what those were either. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, engineer to me was, was, you know, on a train, um, you know, criminology, you know, I could at least look at the word and say, okay, maybe I have a sense of what that means. Right. But I didn't, I didn't know anybody in these fields. And so I, um, I, uh, as I was looking for schools, I had this matrix of criteria. <laughs> Oh gosh. It, yeah. So sometimes I look back and I'm like, maybe I was an engineer all along and I did not know it. Um, but I had, you know, my criteria was, uh, you know, good criminology program, um, you know, good engineering program, um, whatever that meant in my 17 year old mind, of course, um, with no frame of reference. Right. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> below North Carolina, um, because I don't like the cold and, uh, what else was on there? Oh, I was a competitive, um, I'm a competitive, um, dance team in high school and I wanted to do that in college. And so I wanted a school that had a good competitive dance team and then some other things. Uh, long story short, I ended up picking Florida state. Uh, oh, Big thing I forgot money. They were gonna give me money. Like I wasn't gonna go anywhere. That wasn't gonna give me any money. That was like that was the that was, yeah. That's that was okay. That narrows real fast. Um, and so uh, I think I was like I was like a national achievement scholar. So I was looking at schools where I could get you know that money. And Florida State is is where I ended up. Um, I actually had a friend from my high school. There were two two guys um, from my high school that went to Florida State as well. One went into theater, um, the other went into engineering. And I was like, oh, you're going to do engineering? Like, which one? He said, civil. I said, well, cool. I said, well, I need an engineering degree in order to go into the FBI or CIA. So I'm just going to have a buddy and I'm going to go be a civil engineer. So again, no idea what these things are, but it's like, this is what I need to do, right? So I get to school and um, my scholarship required me to interview like faculty in my field. And I go to this professor's office and I'm like, hey, you know, you're a civil engineer. What do you do? He said, oh, I deal with big things that don't move. And I was like, that sounds awful. Um, and I was like, okay. And he's like, you know, buildings, bridges, infrastructure, stuff like that. He said, hey, he, and then he kind of laughed. He said, except I look at earthquakes, so I guess they do kind of move. And <laughs> which was cool. Um uh, but I was like, no, nah, I'm good. So I was like, well, maybe, you know, 17 year old Shawnee should like actually put more effort into like what engineering is to make sure, even though it wasn't what I wanted to go into, I thought, right. That I at least would enjoy the process. So did more research, came across electrical engineering, and it just seemed like there were so many different things and spaces where it was important that it was like, you know what, like, that gives me a lot of options, because if I don't like that, like, I can do that. And if I don't like this, I can do, you know, so I was like, I'm gonna be an electrical engineer and, and go like that. And that's literally how I ended up in engineering. Um, it was like, it was not something I always wanted to be. It was not like I had a role model, like, I want to be an FBI agent. Uh, you know, how did that plan to become an FBI agent change you know how did your aspirations change as you went through your undergrad yeah, for engineering? yeah. No, yeah. that's a good question so I was in an organization called the National Society of Black Engineers and um, at some point there were actually there were two things that happened one is that Nesby launched um, this program called technical outreach community help 
And it was basically going into communities. We had one that was really close to our engineering building um, that we used to go to. And I was developing curriculum um, to go in and teach kids about technology. And I was having the time of my life doing that. Uh, And then um, maybe like my junior year, end of my junior year, beginning of my senior year, somewhere in there, one of my professors saw me in the hallway and she was like, shiny, um, what, what are you doing when you graduate? I said, oh, you know, thinking about going into the, the FBI. And she was like, huh. <laughs> yeah, that's, a pretty unique, that's a pretty unique thing to say to, you know, I went into the FBI. <laughs> right? She was like, you know, you did really well in both of my classes. I really think you should look into grad school. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, what's that? Right? I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, know what this is yeah. at this moment. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's more school, but when you finish, no one can tell you what to do. <laughs> I was like, sign me up. I'm yeah. in like that. I want to do that. I want to do, you know, whatever it means to yeah. not, not have people tell me what to do. And so, <laughs> you know, I, 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 at that point, you know, I hadn't necessarily relinquished the FBI thing, but I was like, but I should go to grad school. And it was when I was in grad school and couldn't find a, a, a traditional electrical engineering project, but I was working with these kids um, kind of on the side that I had this epiphany of like, oh my gosh, like I want to build things that help kids to learn. And that's when the shift happened to me. And it was like, I like I love working with these students. I love thinking of creative ways to help them learn new things. Like I love, you know, uh, when they get it and I can and I see and it's so it feels so cliche, but that's actually like a moment, like seeing a kid get something. Um, so whatever, I'll take it. Um, and that's when I had the shift and I gave up the the whole FBI thing and I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to build things to help kids to learn. That's fascinating. So getting more into like your headspace when you were applying to graduate school, um, did, did you know at that point that um, you wanted to really spend your career focusing on computer engineering and, and computer science? Yeah, so, so and you, it gets into another kind of roadmap, interesting story. So the school that I was at, had a BS to PhD program. So um, Florida A&M and FSU have a joint engineering school. Um, I actually applied to FAMU, um, which is an HBCU, to do the PhD program. Um, Because at that point, um, everything was the same and FAMU had some really great things going on on their end of things. So I switched to FAMU when I got into grad school and I couldn't find like a project that I enjoyed, like I was working on a NASA project, like I was using MATLAB to model uh, space dust charging because like the electricity. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Sounds cool, right? Yeah. I was it does. in my lab, bored out of my mind. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh my gosh, why did I pick grad school? Like, no, this is not it, right? So I was like, okay, I, 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 the project sounds cool, but awesome professor who I think you're great. I don't like your work. So (laughs) luckily I had my own, like I had my own, my own money. Um, so I jumped to another professor and I was like, okay, um, 
I'm going to work on solar panels, right? And thinking about these, the, the professor was working in developing countries and I was like, okay, this feels good because, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm helping people. And I had this really strong desire to feel like my work was contributing, you know, to the benefit of, of people. Hated that too. <laughs> it's, yeah. Went to yet another project, went through three projects to make a long story short. Finally, um, uh, I, um, because I was having so much fun in this Nesby program, I was like, okay, how do I do this? And I looked around, you know, FAMU and FSU and nobody was doing kids in technology. So I was like, surely like there's a way to do this. So I went to talk to the dean or was he the chair? He was, I think maybe he was the chair at the time of the engineering. And he was like, Shani, we can't give you an electrical engineering degree for doing education. And I was like, well, no, no, no. Like I want to build things, right? Like we build things as engineers, but like the context that I want to do that in is in education. No, 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 Shani. Like it doesn't work that way. Like find something else. <laughs> I was like, eh, I'm no, like, so I started doing research, right? So I found like Stanford. Stanford was doing some cool stuff. Uh, there was a, a professor at Vanderbilt who was building intelligent uh, tutoring systems. There was a professor at Carnegie, or multiple professors maybe, at Carnegie Mellon that were doing ro robotics education. Now, mind you, this is 2003, so this is a while back, right? Carnegie Mellon was doing stuff. Um, and then MIT, the Media Lab, uh, there was this... Um, a lifelong kindergarten group, a future of learning group, and all of them were about building computational technologies for learning. So I took, yeah, right? So I took all this information and I take it and I'm like, look, like this is a thing. Like these people are engineers and they're just like, they're just applying it to education, but it's like, there's these big name schools who are doing this fantastic work, um, but it's for education. And they were like, nope. I was like, okay. I was like, well, you know, I just spent all of this time like finding places that do what I want. Why don't I go there? Yeah. And I, sounds about yeah, right. And so, you know, I talked to talked to them again, and it turned out there was an option where I could opt out with my master's. So, I did a master's thesis. I actually was working on um, uh, like neural networks for predicting. Um, based on different characteristics of students, if they might have trouble in intro to circuits so that we could do an intervention. So it was like, it was, it was still in educational space. We were looking at prediction, predicting these things and then trying to get folks help. But I finished my master's and I left. I went to MIT. Um, I went to the media lab. Um, and that's really where like, you know, everything kind of birthed around computing and kids and education and all of that kind of stuff. Sorry, that was, that was long, right? No, th no that's awesome. No. <laughs> Let me lay on your couch and tell you all my stories here. <laughs> no, I, I think it's cool that you sort of just, you know, it's, it's, I, I would imagine it's just so hard to pursue something that, I guess, a field that didn't really exist or wasn't really promoted at the institution that you were at. And so, you know, that's admirable that you kind of just sought out a space where you could do what you wanted to do essentially or um, hard-headed stubborn you know like <laughs> <laughs> i think your story also is like the epitome of like what an engineer is right like you were like i have these skills and i want to apply to this problem and you worked on so many different problems but then the day you, you you were able to go from from i guess civil engineering to working on stuff at nasa to working at on 
education because at the end of the day you you had the the hard skills and you had like the creative mind to say no this is how i'm going to apply them so i I think that's awesome well i'm going to take that and i'm going to use that in the future (laughs) (laughs) like this is what i was really doing it wasn't being a confused teenager (laughs) yeah and you know once you sort of i guess found your niche at the media lab right i mean we saw that your thesis was titled uh, more than a feeling, technology-infused learning environments to support the development of identity, uh, of uh, empathy, sorry. You yeah. know, that's one of, that's probably the single most unique title I've heard of an engineering paper. <laughs> how, how did that project come to life? Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. You guys got me on that one. So um, the, my group, so I mentioned my, one of my advisors, right? Uh, affective computing, sensors and technologies, sensor responding human emotion, uh, and then future of learning. And then I, eventually worked with Lifelong Kindergarten as well, uh, which is Mitch Resnick. Um, David Caballo was my advisor on my master's. And um, literally when I got to the media lab, they were like, awesome, glad you're here. Find some synergy between our groups. And oh, by the way, we're applying for this big NSF center grant and we want to learn everything there is to know about emotions and learning. So that was my setup, right? So I went on this like, true, you know, researcher's rabbit hole of trying to learn everything that I could learn around emotion, right? And learning and the interaction between the two. And, you know, me coming in, of course, wanting to build things to teach, my biggest takeaway, um, or that's two takeaways from that process, which ended up being really good, was that, um, I could build the most extraordinary technology out there for learning, but if the kids I was working with had a lot going on emotionally that they weren't able to work through, then it would like render what I was doing useless otherwise. So then I kind of had this shift from, you know, like maybe building something to learn math and science or or like these more academic subjects to like, how do I learn about myself? How do I learn about um, my emotions, right? How do I learn how to interact with other people or empathize with, with people? And so there was this big shift in like, man, I can still build technologies, but what if these technologies were, were all about learning about oneself? And so I, I was developed a few different projects um, using like affective um, computing technologies. Um, the first, the first, yeah, the first I did, um, which ended up being my master's thesis because I had to do a second master's. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, um, was um, it was like a digital journal. So I was working with some teenage girls, and um, they would kind of type in the journal, and then they would create like a comic book version. It's all digital, like a comic book version of their story. And then I was taking their captions on their text and using um, uh, 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 semantic, I can't talk, sorry. (laughs) We're talking, looking at uh, the text and trying to figure out um, what kind of emotions the text was expressing. So we had this big initiative, um, which was um, ConceptNet. Um, Marvin Minsky, who's one of the fathers of AI, um, was at the media lab at the time. And uh, at that time, he and this graduate student said, you know what, we're doing AI the the wrong way, right? 
and we're going to use this new initiative to fix AI. So we had access to a bunch of tools and I was using one of these tools to try to do reasoning on text about the emotional content of the text. So the girls would submit their stories and then I would reflect back to them like, oh, wow, you know, sounds like, or the computer would say, not me, um, you know, it sounds like that may have made you feel like this or made you feel like that or, or something. And it would just be a suggestion, right? But after they got that suggestion, they could agree, they could disagree, they could explain more like how they felt. And so that was kind of my first kind of journey into, you know, what role could technology play? Um, then I'm... Um, moving forward to my dissertation stuff, um, I started playing around with this project. It was, I think I called it the inter yeah, it was interactive journal and it was using uh, electrodermal activity, which um, anytime you experience emotion, you sweat. Um, and we were at the time, we were working on a wrist worn sensors um, in order to uh, 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 pick up on like, basically think if you think of uh, electrical engineering, open circuit, closed circuit, right? So it was an open circuit. And if you sweat, it's closing the circuit. And so we were looking at, you know, emotional arousal in that way. And so I used that and um, heart rate variability, which at the time we were experimenting with, the group was experimenting with that as a, um, a signal for stress. And again, it was like this diary that you could go in, but you could collect your physiological signals while you were typing. But then you could go back and look at the actual physiological graphs and see what your physiological response was to what you were typing. And that had come from this work that I saw uh, at, I think, uh, University of Texas, James Pennebaker is his name, on expressive writing. And he was looking at if you uh, have like a traumatic experience, that writing about it repeatedly um, was helpful. Um, but you could also see how helpful um, in your physiology. And I was like, cool, like, could we encourage people to do more of this expressive writing by letting them see? Like, it's not like a researcher looking at that, but it's like you get to see yourself, like, you know, those reactions. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So it, it, it seems like you had to go through a lot of different disciplines um, outside of just electrical engineering to be able to do a lot of these projects. How did you enjoy having to learn about like physiology, neuroscience, I'm sure, yeah. uh, behavioral science, all of that? Yeah, uh, all of those things, um, education, all of that. Um, that's fun for me, but I am that person that <laughs> when there's a, a, like, a puzzle there's, I will solve this thing, right? And and having to go through a lot of spaces and places to figure out what those things are, like, is is like my kind of party, right? Um, hence, hence, and my friends always still joke, like, you, you missed your calling with the FBI, like, you could have saved the world, <laughs> like, but, you know, here you are, you know, doing this other whatever stuff, but, like, you could have been solving all these crimes and, you know, just pulling all this information and finding information to like try to, you know, figure it out. Um, but that like, that's fun for me. I'm also, to be completely honest, I'm very easily bored, um, become bored. Um, and so, you know, having to continually try to stay up to speed and figure out, okay, what, what is psychology saying now? What is neuroscience saying now? What are they saying in education now? And pulling these things together to put in the project, like all of that stuff. Um, I, you know, it, it's, it's fun for me. Um, 
So, oh my gosh, I did all of that and I literally did not even get to the dissertation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is what happens We've when inter- you talk to professors about things they enjoy. They, they won't shut up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, anyway, I, I have a follow-up question based on that. It's, it seems like a lot of the work that you were doing was very reflective on the people who were in the study. And um, yeah, so I, I was wondering if while you were spending, I'm sure you spent a lot of time really thinking about how your emotions uh, like play out in your life and how, and how you express them. Was this like an introspective process for you? Did you like maybe learn anything about yourself yeah, during this time? Yeah, no, you know, um, you know, part of what I was having to do was to look at strategies that I could incorporate into what I was doing. And so in doing that, I actually picked up a lot of things that, you know, could be good for me, right? Um, I tend to be much more reflective than I used to be. Um, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty even kill, right? Um, and I'm probably really good at compartmentalizing, like, which actually no one's really good at compartmentalizing. We just say that, right? Um, but, you know, now, like, I actually, you know, there are times where I, you know, I, I take time to reflect. And, you know, I've a couple summers ago, like I took off in a, a month, like in the summer and I, I did nothing. And it was like my time for reflection and meditating and, you know, these, doing these kinds of things that, you know, fed me and helped me to, you know, continue moving forward. What you were involved in as a graduate student, right? I mean, you're involved in so many different things. It seems like you've continued that until now. You seem to have a number of different projects that span a number of different like fields. Um, that focus on like sort of facilitating better learning environments, collaboration and outreach for like a diverse set of identities. Could you tell us about a project that you're working on right now that you're like particularly excited about or one that like, you know, you've worked on recently that you were like really enthusiastic about pursuing? Uh, so one, one I just, and uh, I had to put it aside just for a moment, but um, I was really, really interested in, um, again, this idea of interpersonal skill development, right? And just kind of looking at all the turmoil, you know, that I experienced in middle school, that people experience in middle school, but now like turmoil in middle school and high school just has such, you know, high like risk and peril attached to it, right? Like it's not the same. And I wanted to um, and the team that I was working with, you know, we wanted to really think about how do we address that? How do we think about that? And so we came up with this idea of, um, are you guys familiar, you all, excuse me, familiar with uh, 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 augmented reality versus virtual reality? Like the difference? I don't like to assume. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you, do you want to just give a quick explanation if any of our listeners Yeah, yeah, familiar? sure. So virtual reality, um, that's where you see with like the Oculus where the entire world that you're seeing is digital. Um, augmented reality places digital things in the real world. So you're still seeing the real world. And so we came up with this idea with an augmented reality environment that would allow kids to explore social scenarios, um, uh, you know, hopefully in a non-threatening way, but to make decisions within these. So um, it was like almost like a game and a choose your own adventure, right? So you would go to one part of the school, you know, point the phone, a little character would pop up and say, oh my gosh, 
have you heard about such and such and such and such, right? And let me tell you all the tea, you know, like, let me spill tea. Um, and, you know, you could have a ch- you could have a chance at that point, like the kid could have a chance to be like, oh yeah, you know, tell me the gossip or like, hey, you know, is this something that you actually know? Kind of be the upstander kind of thing, just different ways to to navigate it, right? Um, and then you you get taken to different spaces and places where, you know, somebody might say, oh my gosh, I just... I just want to punch him. I can't believe he would do that. And then, you know, you could make a decision and, and they were, they were given right decisions that they could choose to say, Hey, you know, why don't we take some breaths here? Why don't we deescalate this? Or what's another way that we could handle this or get, you no, know, go punch him. Right. So, you know, there was, it, it was very much like this, uh, immersive space, um, for kids to experiment um, and think about how they might handle certain situations that come up in school. And I just, I just, I really enjoyed doing that. Um, again, you know, the, the target audience, I just feel is so important. I remember in one of our sessions, so we had the kids develop the scenarios based on real things they had seen in school. So we worked with them and then we, we put them into the digital story based on the stories that they told us. And, um, I was talking to them in a session and I was like, hey, you know, this, that, and the other. And parents came up and they were like, no, 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 We don't tell parents about these things. And I said, you know, I said, I, I feel you. I said, um, but just, you know, out of curiosity, the things that you've said, you know, we went through those things too, right? I said, you know, and I, I, I hear some differences. I was like, but, you know, I, I imagine your parents could relate. So what keeps you from doing that? And this girl looked at me and she was like, look, (laughs) she was like, every single day I go into school terrified that I am going to trip. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say something wrong. And not only are people are going to see it, but someone's going to capture it on a camera and they're going to post it to social media and people are going to make fun of me forever. And I was like, I am so sorry. My experience does not even remotely, you know, compared to that. And so, you know, the idea that we could potentially have an an impact in that kind of space, in that kind of environment, and really, again, using these technical skills to have an impact in that space, is just really exciting um, for me and the kinds of things that I like to think about. And especially I'm a mother of of a tween and a teen. So, you know, yeah. it's kind of important, <laughs> personally. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. no, no, really important problems. Yeah. But that's that's fascinating, though. So I know augmented reality is a very complicated like, computer vision problem. Um, and I, I mean, I, I'm definitely familiar with times where I've, I've used, like, a computer version where, like, a, we were on, like, a 2D map, and you walk up to somebody, like, a little emoji, and, and you say, and, like, it gives you <laughs> options. And those those situations for me, like, never felt so real. What, what do you think it is about having that real in front of you in a three-dimensional space about the augmented reality that really makes you feel like you're part of the situation. Yeah, so it was interesting to watch. So the kids, when they experimented with it, um, one of the first thing we noticed is that the kids were always choosing the antisocial or what we can generally consider the antisocial. So if the guy says, I'm going to punch him, they're like, punch him, right? And if the, <laughs> if the girl is like, let me give you the tea, it's like, let me hear it, right? And so we were doing these reflections um, and we were like, hey, you know, what, what, tell me about your decision-making process. And they were like, so it was really cool because it was like I was in the situation and I'm interacting with this character, 
But at the end of the day, like I know it's a game and I don't get to in real life choose the bad decision, right? I don't get to, I, I'm, the, I'm the good kid. I'm the kid that isn't going to get caught up in these situations. So I was just curious how it was going to go. So, you know, it was immersive enough that it was like, well, let me let me play this thing out, right? Let me see how this thing goes. Um, but but also detached enough where it was like, but I'm not really impacting the real world. So I feel like um, uh, at least in this case, um, augmented reality, um, you know, presented a level of immersion that was enough to want to participate and engage, right? But maybe not so real that the stakes felt very high, which of course became a research question for us of like, well, you know, how do we, if our initial thought was, hey, how do we help them and support them in in picking more pro-social things? Like, how do we get there given what we're seeing? So that was a a whole other thing. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that's a, like a limitation of the, like the, the research or do you think it's a technological limitation where once you get better augmented reality, people will start to really feel like they're in the situation? You know, I, 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 it might be a bit of both. Like I didn't want to do, we didn't want to do virtual reality um, in part because a lot of people get motion sick, sickness and we didn't want to limit participation. It's also more expensive. Um, but you know, I don't know if feeling more immersed would change their interactions. I don't know. It's an open question. Um, and so at least for now, for us, it is, it is a question of um, how can we uh, motivate people or do we need to motivate people in the pro-social direction? Or could it be, right, do, do we discover a feature, right, of like, hey, you know, they're gonna choose, you know, these, make these decisions, right? Is that something that we hadn't, well, clearly it was something we hadn't considered. What do we do with that? And those are open questions because I don't know. In terms of like more like long-term impacts of what you were studying, do you think that like, it can not only sort of have an impact on just like your understanding of teenagers like socialize in general but do you think it could like help like I guess like form like better education educational environments in general like I guess like what other downstream impacts do you think that study could have on like just anything in general relating to the the topics at hand yeah so um when I get to pick it back up that's the big thing because 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 COVID you know has put the kibosh on 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 a lot of things at this point right um so there's, there's little coming out of that project at this point but um uh, if if I had my ideal, right, of how this would go, um, kids would be able to be upstanders. They would be able to feel comfortable in um, helping other people um, through situations or getting them to the right help in order, right? And so a lot of the kind of um, interpersonal um, headbutting that happens, right, that the 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 gossiping and all of the things that happen in middle school, right? Could we really help kids to kind of reflect and address those things more proactively, right? In a way that, you know, we 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 start to mitigate some of that and 
you know, ultimately impacting people's interpersonal interactions in that way, that's going to have academic implications, right? If you look at, so there's a whole field of like social emotional learning, right? And if you look at that, um, people have done really good studies around um, impacting social emotional learning has impacts um, even on standardized tests, um, like a, a matter of percentage points um, higher on wow. tests for higher social emotional learning. So there's lots of kind of beyond just the interacting with other people, the kind of impacts that you could potentially see by addressing these things um, early on and and, and often. And do you think like an analogous study could be done? You know, obviously not sort of have to be adapted uh, because of sort of the age difference, but do you think something like this could be adapted for like college age students? Yeah, I started having those conversations. you know, we, we, you know, the, of course the kind of stuff, um, that we were coming up with because we were working with the kids, like that was more about, um, you know, middle school drama, mm-hmm. which, you know, y'all it's much different. School. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Y'all remember middle school, right? I, I, I don't know if it's so much different. I mean, like <laughs> people still gossip and punch each other in college. Right. You do. You just have more years in college. I don't know. Um, I, I can't say that at, at 40, 41, I don't know that it's that different now either, but uh, you know, people are people, people can be dramatic, right? Um, yeah, we've had those conversations because, you know, if you start to think about, well, what does it look like? Because, um, you know, everybody has to go through, um, like, harassment training and, you know, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training is is becoming more important, right? So if we start to think about topics that might be more meaningful for college students, right? Right? Could that be a, a fun and interactive way to engage college students? We we've so we've talked about that. We've talked about even in the workplace. We've talked about the possibility of starting to bring these ideas there because honestly, like all of that kind of training is boring, right? Yeah. Fact, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I mean, you do it because it's important. That yeah. doesn't make it fun. Right. You know, but could you make it like more fun and more engaging um, and more memorable? Right. So you talk about, uh, oh, I'm not going to get it right. Um, What is it like? Tell me, show me, let me experience it. Right. And there's different levels of how much you'll remember and how much you'll be able to do afterwards. Like that whole that whole thing. I can't think of the I don't know if it's a proverb or what. Um, But, you know, like we imagine this as a doing. Right. It's experiential is giving people opportunities to make choices and reflect on their decisions and see the impact of the decisions that they make. So I think that could have an impact on a lot of different um, levels. We also talked about like fun stuff, like, cause you have an orientation, change orientation and, and do augmented reality with orientation and Whoa. <laughs> have people kind of running around campus and learning different things and almost like a, um, Y'all seen Pokemon Go? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. where it's like gamified, right? Could you have like a gamified yeah. orientation? We talked about stuff like that, so. That's so cool. Wow, okay, so on, on a different note, we, we did some um, research before we had this podcast. <laughs> I noticed that a lot of your recent papers ha- were related to dance. And, and I know it's something you mentioned you were very involved in um, growing up and when you went to college, a big consideration. I've never thought to connect dance and computer science, personally. Yeah. Um, how, how do you make this connection in your mind? And can you tell me a little bit more about your work? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, uh, y'all are funny. I got, um, (laughs) when I got to MIT, um, in 2003, um, the first project that I worked on 
um, was with this famous, he used to be the principal ballerina for, um, I think it was a New York City ballet, Jacques Dembois. Uh, and he ran this thing called the National Dance Institute. And we had this whole project with him um, where we we had robots, we had um, a big screen, uh, and we had music. And we had the kids putting like sensors and stuff on their bodies. And they could program the robot, the drawing on the screen, and the music to change based on how they moved their bodies. And it was called Row Ballet. It was so much fun. Whoa. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, that was, I guess, 2003, 2004 timeframe, we did that. And um, uh, I kind of moved in the direction of the, the stuff that we talked about, you know, moving towards my dissertation. But I always um, have had this interest in like broadening participation and how do you engage more people, right, in STEM and computing, right? And uh, around 2008, I had this dream. Um, so before I was a dancer, competitive dancer, I was a competitive cheerleader. Before I was a competitive cheerleader, I was a competitive gymnast. There's this whole thing. We didn't go there, but... <laughs> maybe maybe on part two of... Uh, right? <laughs> right, we only have an hour, Shawnee. Um, <laughs> uh, we... Uh, uh, I had this dream where there were people performing in the real space and there were cheerleaders on this big screen and they were like coordinating. And there was this one move, have you ever seen like in cheerleading competitions, since we all watch them, um, <laughs> where like you throw somebody up, right? Well, yeah. in my dream, like they threw the person up and then the person became like digital and like the stunt like finished on the other side. It was this whole thing, right? And I was like, oh okay. my gosh, what if you could program like characters and so i had this project i was working on called algorithms where rhythms was spelled like rhythm right and um at that time like i said that was like 2008 at that time there was a software out called alice and i couldn't really get it to do what i wanted it to do and I was like, okay, I'm going to revisit this one day. Um, and fast forward to 2012, I'm at Clemson University. It's my first professor job. And um, I got introduced to this professor, Allison Leonard. She's still at Clemson. She's fantastic. She had the best title in the world. It was something like Professor of Creative Arts and Education and All-Time Awesomeness. It was cool. And um, Sounds right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I told her about my idea. She was like, we're going to do this ish. Like that's going to be a thing. Right. And so we hired a grad student. Um, we started programming stuff and it still was kind of wonky. We're like, you know, we're just gonna have to build our own. So then we expanded the team and we got someone who was big into motion capture. We got somebody who was big into virtual, uh, environments. And then there was like a team of like seven of us. We got, um, some grant funding and we built, um, virtual environment interactions, Vindy, um, that basically, uh, we would have like dance class and we would teach computational concepts like um, uh, loops, um, variables, uh, all of these different things, events. We would teach them through actually dancing. And then they would visit Vinvi and get to program their characters and then perform with their characters afterwards. So there was lots wow. of different levels of engagement with... That's so cool. <laughs> Thanks. I thought so, <laughs> but I'm biased. Um, <laughs> all these different levels they have with engaging with computing. With Again, the whole idea was like, you know, 
computing has been this thing, you know, that used to have plenty of women in it, right? Um, but then that's a whole nother topic. You know, the history of it is now there's not, right? Um, and it's a very constrained few um, identity-wise who can see themselves in computing and therefore that's we just don't become those things and so it was really in this how do we be inclusive how do we expand you know the conceptualization of who can be in computing and who can engage with these ideas and take a very different strategy to engage them and so dance for me was I mean that was my thing and actually feeling it in your body and doing you know, a loop, like what does a loop look like in your body? How do you think about that? How do you do that? How do you perform that? How do you choreograph? Um, you know, we had this game where everybody came up with eight counts and then someone would choreograph with, with code, right? So they would have like, do this sequence, do that <laughs> sequence, like wait, do these sequences together, right? So, you know, then you have conditionals. Yeah. If I clap, then do that, right? So we had these wow. all these things that we developed to like try to connect the concepts in lots of different ways. But again, you know, this idea of performance and showing what you've learned and what you've done was baked into that. That's absolutely incredible. My mind is like, <laughs> I'm wondering, do you see like a beauty in programming, in coding, as I'm sure you do in dance? Do you, do you like see an art kind of yeah, in, so, in the act of computer Yeah, so, so full disclosure, like I hack, I don't beautifully okay. program, right? I can make <laughs> some stuff work, right? But I don't, I, I, like my degrees are in engineering. And they spoken like a true engineer. Right, right? I, 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 I had MATLAB. Like I didn't know MATLAB wasn't programming, right? Until I said it in front of computer <laughs> scientists and they were like, uh. so, you know, so I can make things work. You know, now that I have been in computer science departments and I actually see what software engineering is, it's like, oh, that is just like really nice. Like, and if you take, yeah. you know, I, I, I ended up teaching software engineering a couple semesters ago. Um, and so, you know, I had to learn all of these things to, to, to figure it out. And I was like, wow, like there is really an art to doing this thing. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was definitely, I will not claim that I have that. I will not, right? Because I have seen it done, right? Um, I can make stuff work. I, that's what I say. I make stuff work for what I need. Um, and I've learned some things along the way. But people do some just really beautiful jobs of putting things together in that way. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely is a craft. And yeah, along those lines, um, and look, you know, looking a little more big picture, right? I mean, I think engineers, that sense of like getting stuff to work, right? I think that's like something that a lot of engineers share. As someone who's... I guess trying to bridge the gap between sort of like engineering and education. What do you think engineers like? First of all, I guess what scientists can learn from engineers and engineers can like learn from scientists because at an academic institution like Duke, right? I mean, those are very like overlapping, but you know, those are sort of separate in different spaces. And yeah, what do you think? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? That's a good question, right? Because I, I I've kind of been all over the place. I've been in computer science departments and. You know, I started off in a, in engineering, and now I'm back in an engineering department. And you know, the the perspective when I've gone back and forth has been that you know the scientists, the basic scientists, are doing the stuff that the engineers kind of take and apply, right? Um, but then there's this feedback, right? Because if you if you it, let, let let's assume that that's true, right? Let's assume that you know, basic scientists do these things. Engineers take 
these lessons learned and then apply it to create things, right? When you create things and things don't go the way that you thought, there's feedback, right? So I think there's probably very much this feedback loop. Um, I think that that the more in communication that that folks are, and and and, I, and you alluded to it, like I, I think the the boundaries are are not real. They're 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 pretty blurry, right? Um, but but this kind of application lessons learned, you know, making it better, improving it, and doing, you know, I I think that there's probably a nice feedback loop going on there. Mm. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know. I just have so much respect for on both sides, you know, what folks are doing. Like I'm, I, I would never have persisted as a bench scientist. I just, I just, it just would not work sure. for me. Um, but the amount of like, I need, right. I need to under understand these things in psychology. I need to understand neuroscience uh, to a certain level. Right. Um, in order to do what I do. So, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, I'm going to ask you a tough question now. You've, <laughs> you've described a lot of really cool initiatives and, and projects that you've worked on that seem to uh, act to uh, reduce inequity in engineering, engineering education to get more people involved in STEM. What do you think are the next big picture steps that large institutions, uh, universities can take to reduce the inequity in it, that exists in engineering and engineering education. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that question. <laughs> I think it's an important one. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge um, that folks have is an understanding of what a scholar is, right? And so for a very long time, the people who have been in fields, you know, like computer science and engineering, I'll speak specifically to the ones I'm, I'm involved with, right? There is a vision, a version of what a computer scientist is, what this person looks like, right? And li actually, literally, if you do, there's, there's some research on kids drawing and they all draw them looking the same, which is telling. Um, but, you know, what is a scholar? What does it mean to do engineering electrical engineering and computer science work and research. What does that look like, right? Um, and I think if universities don't take a more holistic view of what it means to be a scholar and what kind of research is valued in the field, then we'll continue to limit the people that can engage, right? So for a very long time, um, especially minoritized groups, um, research has been well marginalized, right? And it's like, well, that's not that's not engineering, right? That's not computer science, right? And there's there's so much stuff, especially after last year, and there's you know big things happening in Google right now, right? Where you know these researchers who have been kind of on the outside screaming like, hey, this is important. This is an important part of engineering research. This is an important part of computer science research. And if we don't pay attention to these things, we're going to have problems, right? We're going to have facial recognition that, um, you know, incorrectly identifies people, right? We're going to have all of these other things. We're going to have voice recognition that can't understand women, right? If we don't pay attention to these things, right? If we don't reach out to society and, you know, bring more diverse people to the table, but also expand what it means to be a researcher in these fields, we're going to generate all of these problems. And I think that that has borne out. So 
if we don't start to say and be more inclusive of, of what it means to participate in these fields, especially with minoritized groups who are drawn a lot of times, not all of the time, but a lot of time to more social justice and helping profession type of work, right? Then we're just going to continue to exclude people, right? And you can't, you can't have, a, in, from the university side, you can't have a more diverse faculty if you're excluding people. And if you have students who want to be around more diverse faculty and you don't have them, then you're not going to have more diverse students. And so it just perpetuates itself. Absolutely. So that would be my... Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, a, a really cool that. answer. And I think, you know, as we wrap up, what advice would you give to either like an incoming engineering student or a current one? Just in general advice. I know it's a tough question because it's like there's such a broad range of people you could be advising, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I will bring it full circle. You know, the lesson I learned from my advisor and then, you know, part of what I had to kind of push up against as a student myself, right? If you decide that something is important, and, and valuable and should be a part of a field, don't let anybody tell you that it's not, right? And you might have to fight and you might have to, you know, provide evidence, you know, you might have to do like really freaking good work, but just do the work and don't let anybody discourage you from doing something that you're extremely passionate about. Like the work that I have said that, you know, I'm going to do regardless of what anybody thinks is the work that has, you know, by far brought in the most not that this is at at the end of the day the measure, but the most money and you know the most press, right? And it was stuff that people were like, eh, right? And so don't let people dictate, don't let people's versions of what you should look like as a as an engineer, as a computer scientist, don't let people dictate what you have to look like to be that. You bring your strengths and your passions and you push that forward. That's awesome. Thank you for that that advice. Awesome. Well, Dr. Daly, thank you so much for taking the time. I truly feel like we could have spoken for like five hours and still not covered everything. Um, so this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that was a really interesting episode for sure. Yes. Dr. Daly has a super unique uh, range of interests in both her research and her, her life. And I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, I'm honestly really curious to see what she can accomplish going forward. Absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and our Instagram page at after double underscore office hours. Yeah, we got some big things coming. We always have big things coming. Don't be afraid to drop a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and give us feedback. And we'll catch you in the flip-flop.